Welcome to the New Providence Presbyterian Church podcast, where we will share our messages from our weekend worship services. We hope these messages will inspire you and challenge you in your walk with Jesus. Every morning when I wake up and pray, I pray for you. And what I pray is a lot of things. Yes, for physical needs. Yeah, relational needs. And yes, what comes across our prayer chain. But the most important thing that I pray for you every day is that each of you would come to a deeper sense of God's love for you and that you would come to a deeper appreciation of who Jesus is and that you would take your next step in following him. And so whether you're new with us or you're investigating the Christian faith or you're, you're questioning and you're curious, I'm glad you're here. Because my prayer for you is that you would discover who God is and discover his great love for you and take that first step of faith. For others of you, you may have been following Jesus for many, many years. And my prayer for you is that you would come to a deeper appreciation, a deeper knowledge of not only who he is, not only what he's done for you, but what it means to actually relate to God through him. What does it mean to relate to God? What does it mean on a day-to-day basis to truly follow Jesus? And not just to know more about him. We could read lots of books. We could listen to lots of sermons, listen to lots of podcasts and know more about God. But to really know him, to know him and to relate to him and to pray to God and to know that he's real and that he's alive and at work in your life. That's my prayer for you. And I pray that passionately for you, that God would disrupt whatever it is in your life that keeps you from him. It's a dangerous prayer. Whether you like it or not, I'm praying it for you. That God would disrupt whatever's in your life that stands in the way that he would break down those walls. And his love would come to you and his grace would come to you and surprise you. Because again, it's a lot more than knowing about God. We can know a lot of information about God, but to really know him, to know him and relate to him, that's my prayer for you. Because my belief is that our knowledge about Jesus should fuel our relationship with Jesus. Let me say that again. Our knowledge of Jesus should fuel our relationship with him. And it should bring about a response, a faithful response. And that's the focus of today's message. As we conclude our This is Essential sermon series, we've been considering the core essential beliefs of the Christian faith. If you've been with us since early September, we've been going through the essentials of the Christian faith. When you think about the definition of essential, it's indispensable. It's what's needed. And the goal of this sermon series, there's multiple goals. One is to ground us and to ground our faith in an ever-changing world. To put down roots and say, okay, this is what we believe and why we believe it. The other goal of this sermon series has been to help us whether to find God for the first time or to come back. Maybe you've gotten off track. In early September, I shared a story about how I went hiking uh, in Colorado at Pikes Peak and got lost. Ended up in a place called bottom, the Bottomless Pit, a horrible name for a spot. And when I got lost, I had no idea where to go. My friend and I were, couldn't find the trail, and in the distance, I saw a pile of rocks. I could still see it to this day, and we, I went to that pile of rocks, and then when I got to that pile of rocks, I saw another pile of rocks, and I walked over to that pile of rocks and eventually followed it all the way back until I got back on the trail. I believe that these essential beliefs of the Christian faith help us find our way back to God. Not if, but when we may feel lost, confused, or uncertain. And so we've considered these essential beliefs. We've considered that God's glory is essential. We've considered that uh, that the God's word and its uniqueness is essential. We've considered that knowing God and his Trinitarian nature is essential. We've considered that knowing Jesus is essential. We've considered that God's call is essential and God's grace is essential and that our life together is essential. And today we're gonna focus on that our faithful response is essential. Recognizing that, again, one another goal of this sermon series is to help us find unity in the body of Christ when there's so much out there that's pulling us apart and that can pull us apart. 
For, the, for centuries, the saying's gone out. You see it on the screen. In the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. And over all things, charity or love. Recognizing that all the way back in the first century, the Apostle Paul in Romans 14 talked about disputable matters where pe- good people thought differently about some aspects of life and faith, but they weren't the essential beliefs about Jesus, about his resurrection from the dead. These essentials that can bring unity. And so where there's essentials, there needs to be unity. And the non-essentials, there can be liberty. But over all things, have a posture and an attitude and approach of love or charity. It's been super helpful to the church, and that's the goal of this series. So again, today we're talking about what it means to have a faithful response. Because if you've been a part of this series, if you consider these truths, if you really let it sink down into your soul, and really comprehend God's grace, if you really comprehend who Jesus is, if you really began to understand what that means, it would seriously blow your heart and mind. If we could really get a glimpse of who God is, our response wouldn't be one of, yeah, that's kind of nice. It'd be like, I'm all in. I'm all in, let's go. Let's do this. I'm giving myself to you, God. If you're that amazing, that grace is as amazing as we sing about, I want in. I want, I want to give it all to you. And if it calls for a response, a faithful, faithful response. Because the right beliefs should lead to that response. It should lead to a transformed life. And all of us are on a journey. Not all of us are there. That's okay. But as we continue on that journey and understand more and more about who God is and relate to him, it could lead to that type of response. And we saw that Jesus, he lived this out perfectly. Jesus lived this out perfectly. And today we consider how Jesus perfectly lived out God's commands. And we can become more like him through our faithful responses of obedience with help from the Holy Spirit. We can do this now. Jesus, he did it. He did it. He lived out God's commands perfectly. And the story and the truth of Scripture is as followers of Christ that we receive God's Spirit who lives inside of us. And that Spirit reproduces the life of Jesus in us. It's not something that's instantaneous. It doesn't happen overnight, but it's a process. And it comes through a series of faithful responses of obedience to what God's revealed in his word and scripture. And God gives us everything we need, all the help we need for it. So we're gonna look at that today. And we're gonna start by looking at what Jesus shared in an encounter in the Gospel of Matthew verse, in chapter 22. Here in this encounter, Jesus comes into Jerusalem. He's in Jerusalem, and he's in Jerusalem. He starts to have uh, debates and, and, uh, with the religious leaders. The religious leaders are coming after him, and they're, they're testing him. They wanna, in essence, take Jesus down. And in this encounter, Jesus is confronted by an expert in the law. This expert in the law tries to test Jesus and trick Jesus. So I invite you to listen to this account. Imagine that you're there. Imagine you're standing watching Jesus with this expert in the law and watch this exchange take place. So looking at Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. Starting verse 34, we read this. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus is challenged by an expert on the law. He comes forward to test Jesus. He's like, which is the greatest commandment? 
Now, back in those days, the rabbis, the Jewish leaders at that time, they had categorized and ranked all 613 Old Testament commands. They had a lot of free time. <laughs> they took all 613 commands and they ranked them. Think about that for a moment. Right? Whether it's you think about the Academy Awards or Grammys, you think about if you're a, a, a sports fan, the top 25 AP for college football or college basketball, they did that with God's commands. That's a lot of free time. 613 of them. And because of that, there were different groups that thought differently about different areas, right? You think about even debates about who's the greatest of all time in terms of a basketball player could go on and on, right? These things come forward here. They were saying, what's the greatest command of all time? What's the GOAT, right? They would say, they didn't use that term back then, but they would say, what's the greatest commandment? And they would debate about this. And if a religious leader aligned themselves with a certain command as the greatest, they'd be placed in a group. And so this expert in the law was trying to pigeonhole Jesus, trying to test him, because if Jesus answered in a certain way, then others would disregard him. He was trying to take Jesus out. Now, Jesus, in some instances, didn't respond to questions like this. Other times, he responded with a question. Here, he actually responded. Fascinating. And he says, the first and greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is love God with your entire being. He says, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The first one from Deuteronomy 6.5 in the Old Testament. The second one from Leviticus 19.18 in the Old Testament. And here Jesus says, love. Love in this capacity. Love with your entire being. Love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. As we see in other teachings and what's come to be known as the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10, where Jesus shows that your neighbor is anyone who God puts in your path. Because the Jewish people, when they said, love your neighbor as yourself, they thought, just love other Jewish people. Jesus said, no, not just God's family. Love everyone, whoever God puts in your path. So love them both. And we see the love is not just a feeling, though it involves feelings. It's not just good intention, though it involves good intentions. Love requires action. It requires loving God with your entire being and love your neighbor as yourself. Then in verse 40, Jesus says this interesting line. He says, all, not some, not a few, all, all the law and the prophets hang on these commands. The word hang is like two hinges of a door, that a door hangs on the hinges. Everything comes back to those hinges. So everything, all of the law, all of the prophets, hang on these two commands, Jesus said. What are the law and the prophets? Right, the law, as you go back to the Old Testament, was initially a gift given by God. God's people trapped in Egypt, freed out through the Red Sea, into the wilderness. God adopted them as his people, as his family. And then gave them the gift of the law so that he, they would have a way of life, a way of being that would separate them from the surrounding nations. The key understanding is this, is that the law wasn't given for them to earn their way to become God's people. The law was given because they were God's people. It was a gift. It was a way for them to live, a way for them really to survive out in the wilderness and to be different than the surrounding nations. And then God sent prophets. As you look at the rest of the Old Testament, you see prophet after prophet that God sent to call people, God's people, back to his ways, to call him God's people back to his laws. And so all of the laws, everything, Jesus said, all of the laws, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. That's a huge statement, saying all the Old Testament hangs on these. Well, what's Jesus' relationship then to the law? As you go back into an earlier teaching of what's known as the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, Right, Jesus says this about his relationship to the law in verse 17. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. To fulfill them. Meaning that all the law, all the prophets point to Jesus. They all point to him. 
God, the law, the God's law reveals his will, his loving and good intention for our lives. And Jesus fulfilled that. He lived that out perfectly. If you want to see what God's loving and good intention is for your life, look at Jesus. He lived it out perfectly. And all the prophets that call us back to that, Jesus lived that perfectly. And so he fulfills the law and the prophets. He didn't come to get rid of the law. He came to fulfill it and to show us the way. So if he shows us the way, if he fulfills the law as we look at Jesus, if to be a follower of Jesus means to be a disciple, meaning a learner, a follower, or an apprentice, then we're to become more and more like him. Therefore, we are called to grow more and more in obedience to God's commands. Now, the question typically comes up, I know it's come up in my life, and over the centuries it has, what's the role of the Old Testament law? Like, do the laws continue into the New Testament and into today? And as you look at the Old Testament, you see the laws are broken up into three categories. Civil laws, ceremonial laws, and moral laws. What do I mean by that? Civil laws, these are the laws that described God's people, the Israelites, back in that time. And so they're specifically designated for them at that time, and those don't carry forward. They were for specific people at a specific time. Are there some principles and patterns we can learn from them? Yes, but they applied to God's people at that time. They don't carry forward. The second grouping was the ceremonial laws. These were the sacrifices and the festivals and everything to do with worship for God's people at that time. Now, Jesus fulfilled all of that by his death on the cross. So all the sacrifices, all those festivals pointed to Jesus. It's fascinating. If you were to read the Old Testament through that lens, Read the book of Leviticus through that lens, and you see everything points to Jesus. What? The book of Leviticus could be interesting? What? I don't recommend you start there. But if you open it up and you read about the festivals and the sacrifices and say, how does this relate to Jesus? It's a fascinating study. In fact, the whole book of Hebrews in the, Old, in the New Testament pulls it all together. And there'll be a sermon series called The Missing Link one day that does pull it all together. Not today. But the fact that with all that said, Right? It's fascinating, but those ceremonial laws were, in Hebrews are described as a shadow of what's to come, a shadow. So Jesus fulfilled it. So those ceremonial laws, those sacrifices, no longer have to be because Jesus fulfilled it. So that brings us to the third category of laws in the Old Testament, the moral laws. Laws like the Ten Commandments. Laws like you should have no other God before me. Don't make a graven image or an idol and bow down. Laws like things like don't misuse the Lord's name. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Laws like honor your father and mother. And that law still applies, by the way. Honor your father and mother. Laws like don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. Meaning speak the truth. And also don't covet. Be content with what you have. These moral laws are in the Old Testament. They carry through. They don't stay in the Old Testament. They carry through it. And they're lived out perfectly by loving God and loving others. As Jesus said, those two commands, all that, all of them hang on those, on the law, the law and the prophets hang on those two commands. And so those moral laws pull forward. So they're applied to us today. So if that's the case, then what's the purpose of these laws? I lean on the the great reformer John Calvin as he talked about the purpose of these laws. And he gave three purposes. First, the purpose is to convict us of our sin and to convince us that we need a Savior. As you look at Scripture, you look at these laws, we realize none of us live in there perfectly. And especially how Jesus described them in Matthew 5 through 7 on the Sermon on the Mount, that none of us, none of us have lived out God's ways perfectly. We all have sinned, meaning missed the mark, and we need a Savior. We need Jesus. That's the first role of the laws. Second, it overall restrains evil in the world generally. That is, people hear about these laws, it restrains evil. 
But third and most interesting to me, which has been super helpful for me in my walk with God, is number three is it teaches us God's will and exhorts us to obedience with the help of the Holy Spirit. This is what Calvin called the third and principal use of the law. One that I wish someone had told me earlier in my Christian faith, because for me, I'm a, I remember hearing sermons from people like me saying, look, the law is there to show us that we need a Savior. And, and for maybe it's because of me and my guilt complex, and I'm a semi-recovering perfectionist who is run by some Asian shame. I'm like, I can't do this by myself. I need some help. I need a Savior. I need Jesus. And so for me, it made a lot of sense. I need to come to God. He's the forgiveness machine over and over. As long as I'm okay with him, we're good. But then, I saw the law taught me what was wrong. But somehow in my story, no one told me that the law also showed me what's right. And it's the way of Jesus. And God gives us the ability with his help to live more and more into that. And actually that these laws are good. They're a gift from God that can help us understand what it means to be more like Jesus, to love like Jesus, and to look like him in all aspects of our life. And so as we think about this, we think about the third use of the law, it's fascinating. It it resists the two extremes. Legalism on one side, which says, follow all of God's laws to earn his favor. That's not the way of Jesus. As we considered a couple weeks ago, the grace of God, he's earned it for us. We can't earn it. So the laws aren't for legalism. The laws also aren't to be thrown away or tossed aside. Some have tried to do that over the course of church history, saying these laws don't matter anymore. Just generally love God and hope for the best. No, God's given us these laws for a reason. So what are we to do? Well, the wonderful truth of the gospel, again, is that we can't do enough to earn God's favor. He's, he's done that for us in Christ. Our role is to put our faith and trust that he's done it for us. And then as we're in the family, it's not that we do and we obey God and respond to God to earn God's favor. We respond to God because we have his favor, because we're his children, and we live in such a way. An old image that was, used to be put up on screens would say, look, do, do, do. That's what, if you try and do it, you're never gonna do enough to please God. And then they would cross it out and say, it's because it's done. And that's true, done, right? It's done because Jesus has done it for us. When he said, it is finished on the cross, he wasn't kidding, it was done, it was finished. But what's missing is the next step, and it was missing in my life for years. No, it's not do, yes, it's done, but then it's now do, now do. In light of what God's done for us, a faithful response is to now do, to live out these commands that God's given. Again, not to earn his favor, but because we have his favor. Hundreds of years, hundreds of years before Jesus, the prophet Ezekiel was given this word about what God would do. He said this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Listen to this. And I will put my spirit in you and move you, move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Here, hundreds of years before Jesus, God's letting God's people know There'll be a time when there'll be a new covenant, a new way where God would put his spirit in his people and this spirit would would be accompanied by a new heart to live a different life and would be moved, moved to follow God's laws and God's commands. And the good news of this is this is what happened. When Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected from the dead, ascended to be going back to heaven, he sent his spirit, the Holy Spirit. And for those who put their faith and trust in God, we receive God's personal, powerful presence, his Holy Spirit, who lives inside of us, takes up residence in us, gives us a power we don't have. You know that if you're a follower of Christ, you're a powerhouse. You're a house that that you house the Holy Spirit and the power that he has. And that Holy Spirit moves us, especially as we let him, moves us to follow his commands and decrees. In many ways, Jesus 
remind us that this is not an option. He said in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commands. Keep my commands. So Jesus expects this from us, but he doesn't expect us to do it on our own. So what does this mean for us today? As we consider all of this, remember that God provides everything we need to do this. His grace is there. And he calls for us to have a faithful response to who he is. And he gives us that approach. Now, how do we do this? It takes three steps. It's a rhythm of life as a follower of Christ. We need to listen, trust, and obey. Meaning listen, read his word, read scripture, pray, ask God for direction. Connect and hang out with other people who are also seeking God's direction. And from that, get a sense, God, what are you calling me to do? What are you asking me to do? Where do you want me to change? How can I live in a, as a faithful response more and more to you in obedience? And once you get that sense of what God's asking you to do, then trust him, trust him. And then take that step of, a step of a faithful response and obey him. Do it. See what happens. That's the rhythm of a Christian life. Listen, trust, and obey. Say that with me. Listen, trust, obey. As you live that out, that faithful response, over and over and over. It's a spiritual exercise that builds up spiritual muscles that you become more and more like Jesus over time. It's not something that that we just say, oh, hopefully it'll happen. We have, to, we have a role in it too, but we can't do it on our own strength. It's not like we wake up tomorrow morning and be like, I'm gonna do this, I've got this. I'm gonna follow God perfectly. It doesn't take long for me to not do that. It just takes one of my children <laughs> saying something I don't like or me having a bad attitude and not being a good husband to my wife. I mean, it takes a lot. It's easy, it's like within seconds to say, God, I need to change. I need to repent. I need a new direction. I need to listen trust and obey for all of us that's the invitation that god gives to us and so what's one thing to remember from this sermon that is jesus again perfectly perfectly lived out god's commands and we can become more like him through our faithful responses of obedience with the help of the holy spirit right, it's, not, it's a process it doesn't happen automatically but it is putting this into practice so how do we do this one thing to do is practice the steps of listening trusting and then obeying as a faithful response to who God is, what he's done, and what he's revealed in his word as his loving purpose for our lives. As again, God's commands reveal God's will, his loving and good intention for our lives. If we listen to that, trust it and obey, recognizing that those moral commands carry forward to today, and those commands were perfectly lived out Jesus by Jesus, that we could become more like him as we put this into practice. Imagine if we actually did this. Imagine if we didn't just go home and be like, well, hopefully the Giants beat the Lions. I mean, imagine, which I hope they do, but imagine if we went home and actually did this. And this week said, okay, just one thing, God. One thing. Show me one thing from your word. Show me one thing from my prayers. Show me one thing from a friend who cares enough about me to say you're heading in the wrong direction and say, I'm going to listen to that. God, I'm going to trust you, and now I want to make a different decision. I'm going to obey. And, and, and believing and trusting, you can't do it on your own strength, saying, Holy Spirit, this is true. You've been put inside of me. Now give me everything I need and move me to follow this in a different direction. Imagine if we all did that. Imagine how that would impact your relationships. Imagine how it would impact our church. Imagine how it would impact our community. If every single one of us even just did this once, and then we did it again, and again, and again. And we all looked more like Jesus and lived like him day to day. That's my prayer for you, and that's my prayer. I'll continue to pray for you every day that God draws you closer to Christ and that you would be able to taste and see that he is good and live this out just a little bit more 
every single day. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, as we have considered your truth and your word here, Jesus, you called us to love God with our hearts, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. This is not easy to do, God. We ask and pray, Lord, that you would give us grace to do it. Thank you for your spirit, your Holy Spirit who lives in us. I pray for each person who's heard this message, whether here today, online, or sometime in the future, that you would give us the grace to practice what it means to listen and to trust you and to obey you, to have a faithful response. May we see this as essential in our faith and our journey with you, and may we grow to be more and more like Jesus as we put this into practice. We give it to you, we give ourselves to you, and we pray this in his name. Amen.